I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. To explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Others lock up your sons. The fangirls are busting out all over. It's Fangirl Radio. Fangirl Radio. the fangirls on jackalope radio hi everybody and welcome to the latest and greatest episode of fangirl radio i'm your host jessica dwyer and with me tonight are my lovely and talented co-host rachel moore and and ren willicks hello and always the ghostly amanda her presence is felt rather than seen and um, tonight's episode is going to be a great one. Um, we have with us tonight um, the awesome, multi-talented James Urbaniak as our um, interview guest. Um, you will know him probably better as the, um, the great and neurotic Dr. Venture on the Venture Brothers. Um, and he is just a wonderful, um, talented actor and voice actor theater man um just all around great guy we're going to roll into our interview with james urbaniak and i uh, hope you enjoy he was a treat to talk to so thanks and we'll see you next week when our special guest will be darren lynn boozman good night hi everybody and i want to uh, send a, a welcome to our special guest tonight james urbaniak um James, who you may recognize mainly from the Venture Brothers, is actually quite uh, the repertoire behind him. He's done a lot of television, a lot, a lot of great movies, and um, you're also a stage actor, too. Um, That's true. In fact, I'm currently rehearsing a play at uh, the McCarter Theater in Princeton, New Jersey, a play by Tom Stoppard called Travesties. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a play by Tom Stoppard that was written in the 1970s, it, and it's kind of a historical pastiche. It has to do with real-life characters who existed in Zurich in 1917 during the First World War, uh, when they were in neutral Zurich, and those people were James Joyce, uh, Vladimir Lenin, uh, Tristan Zara, who was a, uh, one of the Dada artists in the Dada art movement, and then a sort of obscure English guy who worked at the British consulate named Henry Carr. And it's about how these three famous guys and this totally obscure kind of English twit <laughs> are, kind of, are kind of interacting uh, while the three famous people are all fomenting their revolutions in politics, art, and literature. And this other guy is just kind of a snobby twit who <laughs> thinks he's better than them and doesn't know who they are. So it's basically a comedy about these historical characters, but it's very, very funny, and uh, it's really great. If anyone's on the East Coast, it opens at the McCarter Theater. It starts previewing March 13th, and it runs 
uh, it officially opens a couple of days after that, and then it runs through April 1st. So it's a theater called the McCarter, M-C-C-A-R-T-E-R, in Princeton, New Jersey. I urge any East Coast people to come see it. So and I'm playing Henry. I'm playing Henry Carr, <laughs> the, the English twit. I was going to say, are you the twit? <laughs> I'm the twit. Cast a type. Cast a type. Well, I, I wanted to kind of dive into this because I, I, I've got quite a lot to ask you about. Um, and I, I, I just have to uh, find this out, first of all, after, especially after um, hearing uh-huh. about the new play. Many of the roles you've had um, in film and on television, but a lot of them in film, have focused on like the power of literature and, and um, the power of words and, and writing. It, was that your choice or was that just how you happened to be cast in all of these? Well, my, my, the roles I play are rarely my choice. I just sort of do what comes up. Uh, but that's funny. I hadn't really thought about that, but that's true. A, a very big film for me is Henry Fool. Mm-hmm. which, uh, for those who don't know, is a film by the great director Hal Hartley that we made in 98. And that's <laughs> about a, a guy who, uh, sort of a young man who becomes a poet. Uh, and I played, uh, yeah, I guess I, I've always kind of responded to those kind of characters. Uh, but I, I think sometimes I just had to play sort of offbeat oddballs and stuff, and a lot of writer characters are written that way. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking so about? I get, We're not I weird. Get, yeah. <laughs> and I do love, like, acting in stuff that's sort of, uh, I don't know if literary is the word, but just, I, I enjoy um, delivering non-naturalistic dialogue, certainly in travesties, there's a lot of that, and I like that kind of heightened writing. And it's just fun to say uh, crazy poetic uh, dialogue as opposed to sort of natural, um, I'm going to the store kind of lines. (laughs) (laughs) So I just enjoy that kind of stuff like that, yeah. I have to ask you, because I know this is a a movie that's quite quite older now, but... Um, I loved you as Robert Crumb in American Splendor. It's one of my favorite performances in that movie. It's just absolutely great. And he's such a quirky character. That means and a lot. He, uh, he's certainly a, he's a cartoonist, but he is very much a writer. Oh, so yeah. he's a not quasi-literary figure. Yeah, that was a wonderful experience uh, doing that. I was always a fan of his and... When I was a young person, I thought about being a cartoonist before I became an actor, and and I uh, so I was always I always followed his stuff, and I followed Harvey P. Carr's stuff. I always loved the kind of underground comics. So th- when that opportunity came up to play that part, I was very very excited, and uh, it was quite a thrill to do. Well, and I love that, and and I've seen this in quite a bit of your work. There are there are caricatures. Uh, there's there's characters that could very easily become caricatures, and it, especially when you're looking at Crumb or, or some of these other characters, and I you bring them to be real people. Well, thanks. Well, that was that was kind of the idea. I mean, the filmmakers who are a very talented couple, Bob Polcini and Sherry Springer Berman, they wrote and directed that movie, and they certainly wanted an element of the archetypal Crumb, the sort of 
idea of Crumb that we have from the Zweigoff movie, Crumb, which is a masterpiece. Mm -hmm. The documentary is performing. He's aware that there's a camera on him, and he's performing, and he's presenting a kind of cool, detached persona. So the idea was, well, the Crumb in American Splinter doesn't know he has a camera on him. Mm -hmm. He's in, in quote-unquote, real life. So how would he interact with this guy who's supposed to be one of his best friends? So it was just fun... Paul Giamatti and I to kind of try to come up with an energy for these two oddballs where they're still they're kind of slightly satirical uh, representations of themselves and yet they seem like genuine people and actual friends exactly. Bob, I remember Bob and Sherry had a great note which was really good which is at one point we had a scene together where we're like both supposed to be young and hanging out and, and they, either Bob or Sherry said don't look at each other like, talk to each other, engage with each other, but don't make eye contact. <laughs> Which created that kind of two weirdos in their own world still being friends hanging out dynamic. And that I thought was a really good note. If you watch, like, the scene where we're hanging out and we're looking at comic books and we're not, like, we're not actually looking at each other. We're just kind yeah. of talking about stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, that was fun. And I, I, I've never met him, although uh, a couple of years ago I went to... Uh, he made a rare, you know, he lives in France, and he made mm -hmm. a rare appearance in the States, and he actually appeared at UCLA, and I live in L.A. now, so I went to see him talk. He was promoting his illustrated book of Genesis, which came out last year, and uh, he spoke, and I was in the audience, and they did a Q&A, and during the Q&A, somebody said, so what do you think about your portrayal in American Splendor? <laughs> and, and he said, oh, well, you know, I mean... I didn't really think it was like me, but I'm me. I wouldn't think anybody was like me. But my <laughs> wife hated it. Said my wife, she said, if I was anything like that, she never would have married me. And then he said, but I heard someone once saw that actor, and he was like, uh, uh, like uh, blonde and really athletic and wearing an open shirt. Which, if you know me, none of those things describe me. <laughs> but I just the. I resisted the urge to jump up and say, that's not true, I'm a nerd like you. <laughs> <laughs> but really, but that's the best compliment you could get from him. Of it's, it, it, You know, it's not really I, like me. <laughs> in a book uh, that he has a kind of autobiography, hmm. and the fact that he just kind of lets it go, I took to be huge praise because he's a famous curmudgeon. Yeah. And there's nothing stopping Robert Crumb from saying, oh, I thought it was an abortion. That guy was terrible. <laughs> right. And that... I, I, I like to think that he just took it for the spirit that it was done in, and it's you know it's kind of caricature, and that he just kind of let it go. So uh, that that yeah, I do take that as high praise. <laughs> you should, yeah, absolutely. Totally. <laughs> well, and and I wanted to bring up because you had mentioned Henry Full and and Faye Grimm are two indie movies that managed to do something that I don't think many indie films have ever done, which is get a. You know, Henry Fool got a sequel ten years after the original right. film, and everybody came back. So, how was Pretty that much. to? Yeah, how was that to create? You actually kind of made an entirely different genre of a film with the yeah. sequel. I it mean, was that's pretty cool. fascinating and kind of sweet. I remember we did a little rehearsal before we shot it and figuring out where we're going to move in the shot, and I just started walking. And I didn't even realize I was intending to do it. And I realized I was like walking like Simon, like just a kind of, you know, <laughs> kind of 
hunched, repressed walk. <laughs> I guess that <laughs> might describe it. And I just thought, holy shit, I'm walking like him again. I wasn't even trying. <laughs> it just kind of came back. It was really nice. And, you know, all the people involved in that, I mean, some of them already, I already was friends with Hal, and I was already friends with Tom Ryan, who played Henry Fool when we shot the original. And I'd met Parker, too. Like, I had already known a lot of those people for a while. So it's just like old friends who were already friends when we shot that movie. So it's just kind of sweet to have the old gang get back together. And then the little boy, Liam, is, you know, grown up. <laughs> He's a teenager now, and that was kind of fun. And, you know, Hal has always conceived of that as a trilogy. So he does, for, for many years, he's been imagining a, a third chapter. So we'll see. I haven't gotten the phone call yet, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, is, is Simon going to get his own film now? Is that what's going to happen? Well, Simon did get his own film. His, Simon's film is Henry Fool. That's Simon's his film. <laughs> it is. That's, I mean, Simon is the, uh, is the protagonist of Henry Fool. Definitely. Mm-hmm. But, um, so I, I had to ask, too, about this, because I just, I finally got to watch it, and I, I've been telling Rachel she needs to see this, is the <laughs> film, all day I've been like, you really need to see it, is what? Thrones. I thought it was... Oh, oh great. I thought it was so great, and, and I, I loved how y- you, you got to, like you were talking about the dialogue, the dialogue in that movie is so perfect for, for the is. world that it's in. And that I is written by... Oh, yeah, go on. Oh, I was going to say, I was wanting to talk to you about how you came to be in that, but also I know Amber Benson and um, Jonathan Woodward both, I believe, co-wrote it? Well, uh, no. It was written by two guys named Ben Acker and Ben Blacker, mm-hmm. the uh, euphoniously named writing team. <laughs> and... and it was directed by Amber Benson and Adam Bush, and then oh, Jonathan Bert just accident like I do. But uh, yeah, that came out of a whole group that I fell in with in Los Angeles. I moved from New York to LA about five years ago, and I fell in with a group. Uh, uh, ben Acker and Ben Blacker write a monthly live show that we do at the theater called Largo at the Coronet called The Thrilling Adventure Hour, which is now uh, podcasting. Uh, The Thrilling Adventure Hour is a live show that's like an hour-long show that's a parody of old-time radio. And so we have all these little radio vignettes, and we perform on stage with microphones, and there's a band, and there's a sound effects guy, and we all dress up like in the old days. And we were It's got a whole kind of 1930s, 1940s feel to it. And there are like four different stories, like four different 15-minute, three or four 15-minute vignettes in each show. And um, there are like fake commercials. We have a fake sponsor. And <laughs> it, but it's, it's a live show for an audience, but it's supposed to be an old radio show. So this past year, they started recording them, and they've been posting them. And if you go to uh, thrillingadventure.com, I believe is the... Uh, wait, let me check. <laughs> let me make sure that... It, the name of the website. I'm Googling as we, it's my own thing, and I don't even remember what the website is called. <laughs> uh, Thrilling Adventure Hour. Hold on. Yeah, if you go to thrillingadventurehour.com, Thrilling Adventure Hour, uh, it'll take you to, uh, to a link to the podcast. And if you're on the West Coast, you can also, it'll take you to the link where you can get tickets. There it is, and there's a big picture of me making a face. 
on the website. It's really, <laughs> but it's really good. But anyway, I moved to L.A. and I met Ben Acker, one half of the... Also, it's like the guy's a writer they're named Acker and Blacker, so they sound like a 1930s writing team. <laughs> Acker and Blacker. And, uh, and they, I had heard about this show, and Acker invited me to it, and I loved it. And then he asked me to do it, and very quickly I fell into being a regular. But a lot of people from Drones... Sam Levine and uh, Dave Gruber Allen, who are on Freaks, who were on Freaks and Geeks, they're regular members of the ensemble. And uh, Mark Emma Jackson is in that movie. A lot of people who were involved in that movie came out of Thrilling Adventure. And that really was just a bunch of friends making a thing together, which is how some of the best things in my career have come about. Uh, but that's uh, yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that, and I'm very proud of that movie. It's. Uh, you know, I'm just trying to get the word out. It's on Netflix streaming now, and uh, well, we shot it like two and a half, three years ago. So it's it's been a while before it kind of, you know, kind of came out and has been seen. But, well, it has uh, Angela Bettis in it too, and she was she's always great. And Angela Bettis is in it. Yeah, lots of uh, great people are in it, and. Um, it's a it's an uh, it's an office comedy with a science fiction twist. <laughs> I I really enjoyed Sold. it. I will go watch. That. <laughs> uh, yeah, that that gives you an idea of Akron Blacker's writing style. Uh, and it was actually a, a great thing where um, what happened was uh, Amber and Adam wanted to make a movie, and they had been working with the they had a relationship with a producer, a guy named Jordan Kessler who kind of splits his time between L.A. and New Orleans. He lives in, he has a place in New Orleans and he has a production, you know, company there. They weren't sure what. And then, as often happens in these low-budget movies, Jordan called them one day and said, hey, I've got an office that's between tenants. you have anything that takes place in an office? We can shoot an office <laughs> for two weeks next month. <laughs> and they said, we'll get back to you. And they called Acker and Blacker and said, do you have anything that takes place in an office? And Ben Acker said, well, funny you should say that we don't, but we actually have an idea for a comedy that takes place in an office, but we haven't written it yet. But give us a week. <laughs> <laughs> and within a week, they had a draft of the screenplay. And within about a month, they were um, setting up pre-production in Baton Rouge in the office to shoot it. So it all happened very quickly because there was just this space. And it was literally, it was shot in two weeks, which... Anyone who knows anything about filmmaking is kind of like shooting a movie in a day. It's like there's not <laughs> much different. Uh, like you, like four weeks is considered sort of the minimum for a movie, but this was shot in two uh, in this empty office that we dressed up, and and it came out real good. <laughs> That's awesome. I I really enjoyed it, and I thought it was great how you your character. Out of everybody in the place, you were almost guaranteed that you were an alien. <laughs> oh, that, that was just my natural weird quality. But I quite <laughs> like that because that's a slightly... I, I'm sort of getting into an authority figure period, but that character's energy is certainly very different than Simon Grimm or Robert Crumb. It's he, that's, that he's got a very extrovert... I play this boss, very kind of corporate, you know, guy. <laughs> he loves PowerPoint presentations. That's his favorite <laughs> thing in the world. I'm, I'm excited he's, about it. He's, like, he's, he's pretty good, but he's got a very sort of extroverted, confident energy, <laughs> which is a different energy than I often play on screen. I'm often these sort of, you know, internal weirdos. 
And that guy's very, hello, I'm Mr. Corporate Guy. <laughs> that was really fun to play such a different kind of energy than I often do on screen. I had a lot of fun doing that. It was great. I, I, I've been telling everybody and telling everyone on Facebook, you have to see it, especially because it's on Netflix streaming right now, which hey, is no, a great thing. Yeah, yeah no, I'm glad on there. Yeah, no, it's, uh, and that's just a labor of love by a bunch of friends in L.A. who just wanted to make something. And I, yeah, I I'm very Well, I was going to say, I know that at, it, there was a big to-do, um, uh, like about a year ago, I think, that there was a... Uh, the sci-fi channel or someone had done something very similar and I know Amber was um, trying to, to make sure people realized this is our movie, this is their movie um, because it came it came out after drones had been completed and uh, yeah, there, I remember uh, there was I remember reading an article about it saying that vaguely, had a vaguely similar idea where drones is about aliens who are going to take over the world and they infiltrate the human race and they're working they take it on the appearance of people, and I, I don't. Did that become a show? I just remember reading that it was a pilot that they were. Yeah, making. it was some sort of pilot or a, a like a it was a feature length something or rather. Well, that I happens. I mean, my yeah. my, I I know nothing about that show, but my take on it was that was just parallel thinking. Yeah, it happens a lot. There there have been there's a long history of alien sitcoms. Uh, you know, interacting with human beings. That's, you know, it's not like Akron Black would be the first to tell you drones isn't necessarily reinventing the wheel. It's just a, a funny idea that uh, <laughs> is very well done, you know. So I don't, I'm not of the opinion that anybody was ripping anybody off. I think that was just two ideas that happened at the same time. But anyway, and drones exist, and I don't, I'm not aware that that other thing does. <laughs> so no, I don't think you could know, and, and I doubt it could be as good. I mean, I really love the whole parallel thing to how you know, with the worker bees, that you, like your character kept saying, the worker bees are part of the hive, and how, and it just felt like a real office, too, because I think well, we've all known those you kind know, when of you, When you re review movies regularly, you get kind of jaded, and I, I'm sitting there at work, and every five minutes, my, my phone is going off. Jessica's like, you have to see this movie. Go watch it right now. <laughs> I have to finish it. <laughs> so she's really excited. Um, I wanted to ask you, you have a couple projects coming up, a couple movies and I wondered if you could tell us anything about them yet, or if it was too early, or... Uh, sure, which ones? Um, From the Head is one that I was interested in. From the Head, it, yeah, that's a uh, movie uh, written and directed by a guy named George Griffith, and it is about a, uh, a guy, uh, George Griffith plays... He wrote, directed, and stars in it as the, a bathroom attendant at a strip club. <laughs> and it's based on his actual uh, time being a bathroom attendant in a strip club many years ago. And I just have a small part in that. It's, it's fascinating, though, because the movie literally takes place in the bathroom. <laughs> so it's very theatrical in a way. It's very theatrical in a way because it's yeah. just George in this bathroom and then various guys come in and out. And so some of them are like regular customers. So you, I guess it takes place over, a, you know, a span of time. So some of them come in and out, and it's about his sort of relationship with these guys and who these guys are. And I really just have a brief part where I'm just one of the guys that comes in. But I just thought it was really interesting, and yeah. I like George a lot. So I just I I'm I don't have a big part in that. I, but I'm just part of this uh, 
this uh, stream, if you'll pr forgive any kind of pun there, <laughs> of uh, sort of sad and uh, <laughs> uh, uh, odd and just lonely gentlemen come in and out of this strip club bathroom. It's, it's like a strip club movie with no nudity. <laughs> it's, just guys, it's just guys coming in and out of a strip, you know, of a bathroom. And then, yeah, at one point, there's a dramatic device where the ladies' room is is not working, so a couple of ladies come in. You know, <laughs> but I I haven't seen that yet. But it, it was a really uh, thoughtful and uh, interesting script, and so that's just an interesting movie that I I am just happy to I look forward to seeing it. I, it's like in post production now, and I think it just played at like a festival in Pennsylvania actually, uh, and was well received. So we'll see what happens with that. That's great. <laughs> I love the potty humor is great. <laughs> mm. <laughs> stay classy, Jess. I stay classy. I stay classy. Yeah. Um, I did see that you had a, a film um, called The Music Never Stopped that looked really interesting um, that was going to be released soon. Yeah, The Music Never Stopped I, uh, uh, is about, uh, it's an adaptation of an Oliver Sacks book. And um, it's about a... Um, it's like about a, a father and son, and the son sort of grew up in the 60s, and then in the 80s he's uh, got a, a kind of form of autism, and um, he, but he relates mostly through music, and so it's sort of a generational story of, based on this real thing where the father, who had a kind of, for lack of a better description, Archie Bunker-type prejudices against like the younger generation, you know, of, in the 60s. Uh, starts um, starts listening to 60s era rock and roll because that's what his son relates to and that's how he can communicate with the boy and so the father starts understanding more about the boy and sort of about the world <laughs> that oh. they're living in and that's sort of what it's about and I have a, a, another smallish part of that I play the father's boss at one point the father gets fired and I fire him <laughs> the funny thing is the father the is played by the great J.K. Simmons, who, if you recall, is also fired and up in the air. There's a scene <laughs> yes. in that that, that George Clooney is uh, training, uh, fires him, so uh, he then gets fired by me in this movie. So um, it's the Revenge of Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. But uh, so that I'm not sure what's happening with that either. These are like all things that are kind of been making the festival circuit and are starting to be seen so but yeah i did that a couple of years ago we shot it a, like two years ago it sometimes takes a long time for these independent films to you know be seen after you shoot them do you prefer but, uh, doing um in front of the camera work versus voice work or is there one that you prefer or are they part of the balance for you oh yeah it's all just different each thing has its own pleasures and its own challenges i don't I don't really prefer one more than the other. I like uh, all this stuff. Um, by the way, I'll mention another independent film if you'd like to hear about it, which is uh, a movie called Blood Relative that a very wrote and directed, co-wrote with a friend of mine named Holly Gold, and that's a thriller, a kind of uh, psychological thriller, uh, where I uh, play. Uh, uh, another boss role. I told you I'm in my authority figure <laughs> stage. I, 
I play the the uh, boss of this girl, played by an actress named Krista Milioti, who's really talented, and uh, uh, she got some attention last year. She was on Thirty Rock playing this performance mm-hmm. artist, pretended to be this blonde bimbo, and then had mm-hmm. this big reveal at the end. Do you remember that one? Yeah. And uh, she, um, anyway, that's like being edited now, and that's another thing where it's just a, a thing I made with the old friends. Uh, which is a recurring theme in my career. People I know ask me to do things, which is the best way. Uh, hmm. As opposed to have audition and, you know, try to get some. <laughs> right. So yeah, there's a I, I bunch would... of uh, independent films of various sorts that are coming out and uh and I'm in uh doing this play. So I wanted to ask one thing because I noticed and I went back and wa- rewatched them and and it was even more unnerving after seeing you as, do- as well, actually hearing you as Dr. Venture, um, to see you on Law and Order Criminal Intent, and then to follow that up with Special Victims Unit. How did you wind yeah. up playing on both of those series and two very, very creepy yet different roles? Well, that's just, that's, I shot both of those when I was in New York, and Law and Order is, is a, the Law and Order franchise is very important to New York actors because there's, much less television in New York, and so every actor in New York ends up doing one of the Law and Order shows. And those shows are famous <laughs> for for using actors repeatedly. In mm. fact, I mean, I was on two separate ones. I was on Criminal Intent and Special Victims, but I've known people who have, over the course of years, have played different parts on like the same ones. Right. There's an act, there's a Dennis O'Hare, who's kind of getting well known now. He's yeah, on, True Blood. Uh, True Blood, and he's on uh, American Horror Story. He's an old New York theater actor, and I've known him for years. And over the course of several years, he played like five different guys on Law and Order. Oh wow! Like, like mm-hmm. the original. Yeah. Like they'll wow. let a year hire him again. But he was a bad guy. He was a lawyer. He was this. He was that. He just kept showing up, and he's so versatile. <laughs> he, you know, he plays all these different things. I just auditioned for those and got them. And those are classic James Urbaniak weirdo parts. <laughs> <laughs> It was really unnerving to see you as a doctor, you know, and, and that Doc, criminal Doctor intent. Guy was actually a funny story because I originally, um, another actor had that part, and there was, uh, uh, for reasons which I probably shouldn't go into, there was, there were just, there were some issues that came up with uh, that actor and the producers and stuff, and they ended up needing to, re- they ended up deciding it was best to part ways. <laughs> <laughs> and they but they'd already shot like two days with this act oh, part and so they just basically started calling you know character actors in New York and I was lucky enough to be next to the phone and to answer it when they called me and they said do you want the part you start tomorrow literally <laughs> and, and like you know and this is uh, and I, I said uh, let me check yeah <laughs> what was I going to do tomorrow <laughs> store uh, and I sit on the couch. Yes, I think I can do that. So I went in and it was kind of crazy because they, they said they had to reshoot stuff they'd already shot and uh, I went in and, and uh, I was it was the kind of thing where I was learning my lines in the trailer like before I went on to shoot. So I watched that episode and just see an actor hanging by the skin of his teeth just trying <laughs> and it was a big crazy it was the bad guy in the th- episode it was a big crazy part uh, but it, it was fun, but it was a real baptism by fire kind of thing. And then I had, then I played it, the other part on Special Victims where I'm more of a red herring, which is a part I often play on these shows. 
the suspicious guy in the first act who we then later realized didn't do it. In that case, I just lead them to a greater crime. But that's one of my, my most famous TV roles. I play a guy who uh, <laughs> put cameras in ladies' bathrooms. Again, with the bathroom <laughs> motif. Well, I was going to say, the potty humor comes back in. <laughs> and uh, they, 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 cat, they find the device and they, track, they find out where it came from and they track me down. Uh, and Amy Sedaris plays my sister. <laughs> <laughs> Which is awesome. But, not, but that, that ends up leading them to a different crime that I have nothing to do with, and I'm just kind of a distraction, you know, a dramatic distraction. But that was one of my favorite parts, the toilet freak, sort of my greatest <laughs> TV role ever. <laughs> By the way, that, that character's name was Wade Donato, and I, I'm sure Wade was the writers being uh, smartasses <laughs> wade through a liquid substance. <laughs> well, and I was going to ask too, I, I got to see, um, thanks to, I think it was your Tumblr uh, account, the the Pudding live action comic, which you yeah, yeah. week. And I thought that was hilarious. I had never heard of it or seen it before. And now I want to go back and watch all of them. They um, make a new every day. They occasionally they rerun them, but uh, yeah, those are. Um, that's a well. There's a great comic in L.A. He used to be in New York for many years, named Eddie Pepitone. And then, uh, for those who haven't seen it, it's 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 like a it's a very short uh, Monday through Friday uh, little YouTube video. They call it a single a live action comic. And basically, a guy sits in a break room eating pudding, and Eddie Pepitone is a kind of balding, chubby, 50-something, dyspeptic, uh, angry, bitter <laughs> character comes in and rants about something insane. And basically, Eddie comes in and rants and acts crazy. Eddie's character exists in in a universe beyond morality, decency, and office uh, decorum. He's just a lunatic. He's just pure energy. It's evil, but Eddie's ultimately a sweetheart, so no one really believes that Eddie's killing people or, you know, kidnapping. <laughs> Children, like they have him <laughs> doing all the time, and, uh, and, and they, they have yeah, yeah, he killed himself, and then the next day he's fine, you know. Uh, so yeah, in one episode that I'm in, he goes on an office rampage. <laughs> you hear him firing a gun. <laughs> it's all actually. But I, I'm friends with those guys, and actually, the guy who eats the pudding is a guy named Matt Oswald, who, as it happens, is Patton Oswald's brother. Uh -huh. and, and Matt writes it, uh, but he writes it in the style of Betty Pepitone. And, you know, each episode is like, some are 30 seconds, some might be a minute, but that's about as long as they get. And, and then now and then they have guest stars come into the office. <laughs> so I've done a few of them. You know, you go there, <laughs> they shoot on a Sunday in this office, and uh, they shoot a whole bunch of them, and then, you know, they they post them. So I just shot, I shot some new ones a few weeks ago, which I think have all been posted, but I'm kind of in the pudding universe now. They, you know, they <laughs> Which is, they actually shoot in an office that's that's very close to my house, so it's very easy to get there. I'm happy to go over whenever they want me. <laughs> well, and I was gonna I was gonna say that you're one of the 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 new breed that's really embraced the cyber culture. Um, you and Will Wheaton and and guys like Paul and Storm have really kind of of taken taken the the cyber world by storm and and embraced it and they're using it to like interact with your fans and and to help get your name out there and get into this like like with this show where it's well, it's a it, cyber series and i think that's awesome that's a really great i i think that's great i just i've just always but i i said started a live journal like oh gosh i don't know um 
seven years ago or something? Back when everyone had uh, live journal. Yeah, back when everyone <laughs> yeah, yeah. had pre-social pre, pre networking, you know, when it was just like live journal and stuff. And so I, and I had one, and there were a lot of, you know, the bulk of the people who read it were Venture Brothers fans, but it was... I, it was always important to me to, for it to be about communicating, and so we'd have long discussions in the comments section about all sorts of things, and and uh, I really enjoyed that. And then I and then when I moved to LA, it was probably around the time that Twitter was starting, which was you know almost I moved to LA almost five years ago, and then mm-hmm. and then like you know a few years ago, Twitter really became a thing, and I I kind of started doing that, and then I just really liked the format of Twitter. And then, you know, for various reasons, I just sort of didn't have the time and energy for the long-form live journal posts that I used to do. <laughs> it's sure. a pretty long post. And then I just kind of liked the way Twitter was structured. And then I started a Tumblr, which, you know, is just basically a souped-up live journal anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Easy access live journal. Tumblr is just a kind of sexier live journal. So, uh, <laughs> I so uh, but I've it just I'd already been doing communicating with people on the internet for several years so it was just kind of switching to a new format but uh, I, I've always enjoyed the community of that kind of thing and 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 yeah I mean uh, for me it's just about communicating with people that I'm that you know about stuff that interests me I follow a lot of political tweeters and you know I'm kind of a political junkie uh, but and then you know when you have something to promote now and then I, I attempt to tastefully promote it without getting too crazy about it. Two <laughs> drones, you know. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I like it. Uh, well, I, I was like going to ask you, um, what the hell happened to Victoria Jackson? Really? She, uh, she, uh, for whatever <laughs> reason, decided that uh, kind of fringe, far right. Uh, sort of comment section conspiratorial wacko uh, <laughs> uh, politics was her thing. That's a kind of conservatism that isn't really conservative and is just seriously is like the stuff you know it's just this kind of conspiratorial Obama's a Muslim kind of strain of fringe <laughs> radical talking point nonsense. And that's uh, become important to her. I don't know why. I guess she it's just it's, yeah, it's weird. But she's 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 grotesque. Um, it's yeah, I, I just I, do. Yeah, I, I know. I just it's just kind of frightening. I you know, you think of her in UHF and then you see her now and it's it's uh sad. Well, there's uh, like a, there's, there's a uh, after 9/11, there's a, a minority of ostensible liberals who then decided to embrace a kind of neoconservative viewpoint, which neo well now you, you've opened a whole can of worms because neoconservative <laughs> isn't necessarily, like being conservative in foreign policy doesn't necessarily mean you're conservative on domestic policy and many neoconservatives aren't. Dick Cheney is pro-gay marriage, you know. I think Dick Cheney's a horrible person but he's on the right side of gay marriage, you know. So like, but she's of a, I don't know, I don't my impression is she probably wasn't political at all, and now she's taking comfort in this kind of cult. <laughs> sure. Just this kind of fake politics. It's not even real politics. Obama's a Muslim isn't even a political position. It's just the <laughs> untruth 
that doesn't even make any sense, you know, and that's what she's embraced this kind of absurd modern conservatism that's just based on stuff that's not even true and has no real isn't really about anything you know I, I communicate with real conservatives on Twitter I'm friendly with several of them and because I'm a political junkie and you know I don't I don't just disavow anybody because they're on the other side but these are people who are sensible <laughs> but believe me there are many conservatives who will agree with me and I'm a liberal democrat that she's not she doesn't represent conservatism she represents this weird thing I don't know what it is <laughs> I mean the thing is though the element that she represents is considered a, a, an important element to for politicians to appeal to. So that's why the Republican candidates well, are so insane right now, because they're trying to appeal to this kind of real fringe uh, uh, element that actually has no crossover appeal whatsoever. People like her are not going to elect the next president. That's a minority opinion. A very tiny, <laughs> a very so. tiny one. <laughs> I, I think uh, it's... Yeah, she, it's like this I mean, car crash where you're hoping she's doing some kind of Andy Kaufman bit that she's just committed to. Well, yeah, <laughs> like emerge from it and it's not, you well, know, and, and it's horrifying it, as somebody who tends to be more conservative to watch that kind of thing is, oh God, please they, don't let yeah. them think that's what I think, you know. Can just Maybe we can just generously ascribe to, it, to the fact that she hasn't changed at all. Her her performance persona has always yeah. been dubbed Bond, or at least yeah. did. <laughs> right? I mean, that's... She's a performer. She's aware that she's deliberately was presenting sure. that Mona as like the kind of ditzy blonde. So now she's just in a new phase of the same character. <laughs> if ditzy blonde thought about politics, what would she do? It's exactly what she's saying. But the thing <laughs> is, the stuff she says is is truly noxious and yeah. offensive. You uh, know, her Islamophobia is like the whole the whole Islamophobia thing is so offensive. And but I believe she's also embraced social conservative issues on like gay marriage and stuff like. That's, these opinions are noxious. They're they're hurtful. They're not humane, and they're not conservative. Conservative is about leave everybody at the f alone. <laughs> right. Stop saying, oh, the government's going to control your uterus and who you can marry, and and you know, and and Muslim people move into your neighborhood and they're suspicious. Like, that's actually not conservative at all. No. That's about government interference. Uh, they're not supposed no. to be into that. Oh. <laughs> Oh my! I, I could tell you a story about my husband at the airport. He's he's half African American, and they actually, the guy at the airport when he went through security, and this is a slur, but it's, he said, "Well, you look a little packy to me," and I, I could not. I looked at him when he told me this. I said, "The airport security guy actually said that to you," and he's like, "Yeah." He had no idea that it was a racial slur. Until later, he never realized it, and I'm like, that, that I would have decked him if I had been with you. That's, That's crazy. Yeah. yeah, this is the kind of mentality. It's horrible. Well, yeah, I mean, the 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 whole thing with uh, with her is is that, she, like, it's it's kind of funny in a grotesque way, but then when you really listen to what this stuff Victoria Jackson's saying, it's just disgusting. <laughs> when she believes now, it. I'll, <laughs> Yeah. Now I I I, I had, won't give out too much information, but we for I I've actually been in the same room with her several times in L.A. because we we uh, we <laughs> I've just seen her. Some there's a place where I've seen her where you know <laughs> actors end up. 
I don't even want to talk about it. But, but it's, yeah, <laughs> I just, I've never, I just, the thing is, just, you know, you're in show business, so you see people uh, who are also in show business. And so I've actually seen her uh, a few times in person, just uh, not performing, just like, you know, in an office, you know, where I have to go sometimes. Where it's not other. appropriate to go and give her a good I've seen her at like, <laughs> yes, I've seen her at like a, uh, an agency where we both have, you know, been. Sure gone to sometimes and but i've just kind of always just thought oh there she is la di da di da because i'm not i'm not going to confront her in real oh, no. oh i w- no that that's the kind of person you no. just you but it's kind of funny because i've i actually now and then i kind of i do see her in real life in los angeles just i the show business rounds because that's where she lives <laughs> <laughs> so, it's kind of funny like you know like there well, she I, is <laughs> Well, I, I have to ask one thing, and I know we've kept you way over um, that we promised, but oh, you're I'm good. damn interesting to talk to. So I can't <laughs> Thank <you>. It's true. <laughs> it's true. I'm sorry. You're interesting guy. Um, we have to talk a little bit about the Venture Brothers. And I had... Or else um, everyone will kill us. Yes, we will be, be rioting. There, you know, Victoria Jackson will be like, what? Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> so uh, America... Uh, yes, they ha- they hate America and they're bad for us, and that's why we love them. Um, so, um, one of our listeners, Mary, asked a question, which I think we've already gotten an answer for. But um, is that is that is there going to be a new season? And I know that um, um, we had been told earlier that there you had been approved for a fifth and sixth. Was that right? That's correct. Yes. When is that going to start recording? Because we need more Adventure Brothers. Well, it actually has just it's just started recording uh, uh, in this past uh, few weeks. In oh, fact, yeah. I recorded... I started recording my first episodes for season five um, about three weeks ago? It's in the past month. I've, I've recorded like... I've, I've recorded three and a half episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Not that they're airing a half episode. It's just that I had to go somewhere, and we were in the studio, and uh, Jackson said, oh, we can pick this up next time. So I'm almost done recording four episodes, and I will be recording more soon. In fact, I just emailed Mr. Public today, and we had a little exchange about recording uh, more over the next few weeks, which nice. will happen. Now, you know, you do the math. It's kind of a long turnaround, so it won't be until, you know... A while before they air, but because uh, it takes a while to to make the shows and put them on, right. so it'll be several months before you see anything, you know. But uh, we are recording, and I gotta say, it's good stuff. The scripts are. I'm sitting there reading the scripts, laughing out loud. <laughs> LOL. Um, no spoilers. I can't. I wish I could tell you some stuff. Some stuff, but uh, you know, I can't. And if I did, the boys would kill me. Then they'd have to hire a new Dr. Venture. We don't want that. No, <laughs> you are Doctor Vincer forever and ever. It's this how it is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow, sorry, but, sorry, uh, James. You're really intense there, Jess. But Vincer, but no. So we have started. We have started, and it's very exciting. It's so lovely to be to be back uh, doing it. It's been a while. It's been a while. It has. And, uh, the, the fans want their show. You know. I know. <laughs> so we're doing it. Yeah, it's gonna. And you know, sometime. Uh, you know, sometime in the in the future there will be more. And yes, then then there will definitely be a season after that too. 
Uh, so it's very exciting. So have, has there ever been talk of doing a feature length, like an actual uh, movie theater version of the film or of the series, like a feature uh, length movie? There's, there's been, there's only been very vague, abstract, like talk. I know that like Jackson has talked about you know, the idea of doing something that's outside of the series, whatever that would be, if that would be like a feature thing that I don't know if it would be theat. I mean, I don't think it's, if you, if they were to make a feature, it wouldn't see, you know, what would happen to it. But, but I mean, that was, I was like a, it was like um, a year or so ago where he was kind of just, we, I remember talking to him and he was just sort of idly throwing these ideas out. So that stuff is just in the vague idea stage, but it's it's possible, but there's certainly nothing specific. It, I, it's just it's been talked about in an abstract sense <laughs> that there <laughs> there could be a Venture Brothers uh, feature length thing or something. But um, I can honestly tell you, there's nothing concrete. At gotcha. least I'm. But of course, I'm always the last to know. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't write the show. <laughs> I don't write the show. I'm not in touch with the production company. You know, I just I just go in and record it and see Jackson and Doc. <laughs> well, and well, one thing I wanted to ask you, and I don't know if this is anything that you would know, but I always wondered about it. Was there, was, you know, there was a character that was based heavily off of Hunter Thompson in yes. the show, and I always wondered, was there ever a hesitation on doing that with Hunter's, you know, the whole thing with the Doonesbury cartoon and how he hated that? Was there ever a chance that there was hesitation on the well, part of the guys? Well, he's uh, he's dead. So how is that an issue? You can't oh, I, I I know I know, but <laughs> I just always wondered if they were if they if they wondered about maybe we shouldn't do that. But I loved it. I thought it was awesome. I, I well I I have never discussed that with the boys ever. I've so. never discussed. Did you ever think twice about? It? I highly doubt it. I think it was just. I think they would have done it no matter what, which was fine. I like just, that question. Just, like you would have come into work and been like. What would Hunter say? <laughs> yeah, hey, I understand Hunter Thompson didn't like... I understand Hunter Thompson, who's dead, didn't like the Doom character. <laughs> based on him. So did you ever have second thoughts about creating this character who's not actually Hunter Thompson, but is just a kind of... You know, <laughs> but that's what happened. ...comedic trip to him? And did you ever think that, huh? What about that, Jackson, huh? Did you? And he would have said, what are you talking about, James? Get in the booth. <laughs> are, you are you on drugs? Are you on drugs? Are you on drugs? What are you talking about? I, I don't know. These girls with the podcast want me to ask. <laughs> <laughs> if I ever see them at Comic-Con, I'm going to ask. I'm like, hey, yeah, I'm the girl that asked about the, the zombie of Hunter Thompson being pissed <laughs> off. <laughs> Although little, little, uh, sometimes legal issues come up. Like there's actually a thing where, you know, like, you know, all the famous comic strip characters are all copyrighted. So, like, you, you can say Batman or... Or you can only say Batman so many times, or you can say Batman, but you can't show Batman on shows, things like that. So I think there was a thing where, uh, you know, um, Hank had a Batman costume, mm -hmm. but because y you could see Batman, you couldn't say Batman, something to th like that. They have all these ridiculous rules. Otherwise, you have to pay a licensing fee or whatnot. Right. Uh, so that's why he actually says, I am the bat. <laughs> <laughs> Which, frankly, is fun. I'm Batman. I think it's it's funnier that he says I am the Bat, yeah. but that's why he says I am the Bat because it was like a legal thing where they couldn't actually say Batman without paying a licensing okay. fee or something. That's 
But I don't think the Hunter Thompson estate, you know, has a case with a character who looks and sounds like Hunter Thompson, whose first name is Hunter. (laughs) 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 It's pretty close. But uh, I think it comes out of an affection, obviously. Oh, totally, totally. uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It was just one of those things. I just was curious because of the history of the whole BS with Doonesbury. I thought... But, but that had no, I mean, he, if Hunter Thompson didn't like it, that's fine. Gary Trudeau, I'm not aware that Hunter Thompson asked him to stop it. He just kind of snarked about it. Yeah, he got pissy about it. I don't think his zombie's going to come back. It's kind of absurd that Hunter Thompson, whose most famous book is a caricature self-portrait, <laughs> was uh, griping about someone's caricature of him in the newspaper. It's like he, he invented caricaturing himself. I think <laughs> his biggest gripe was he wasn't getting money out of it. Oh, I see. Yes. Yeah. Well, of course, that character's name wasn't Hunter Thompson. It was it was Roll Duke. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, I think uh, the ghostly Amanda has told me that we have to cut it, cut us, or cut ourselves down on uh, time here. Yeah. So, but I, I th- James, thank you so much for coming on and, and yeah. babbling with us. Thank we you. had a thank great time. We'd love thank to have you. you back if you are able to, and, and not too scared of us now, but. No, I'd love to. We'll (laughs) just figure out when. And once again, anybody on the East Coast uh, who uh, knows how to get to Princeton, New Jersey, it's a very famous city. There's a big college here. Um, (laughs) Should should come see Travesties by Tom Stoppard, uh, March uh, 13th through April 1st. Go to to mccarter.org. That's the theater's website. And you can see me live on stage. And tweet me that you're coming, and I'll meet you afterwards and sign your Venture Brothers CD or what. <laughs> That's an awesome deal, people. Take that up. Go. That's there awesome. Uh, anytime. Thank you for asking, man. Yeah, we'll definitely, we could definitely do this again uh, in a few weeks or whatnot. So let oh, me know. We'd love to. We'd love to. Thank okay. you again. And um, thank awesome. you for letting me stalk you on Twitter and ask you <laughs> for coming on. You're very no understanding, problem. man. <laughs> it was all very pleasant. All right. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, James, and have a great night. Okay, you too. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Yes! (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Fangirl Radio. I want to thank our guest, James Urbaniak, uh, for coming on and talking to us at length about his projects and his previous work. it's great news. We're going to have some new Venture Brothers episodes coming up soon. And uh, once again, I want to thank him for taking the time to talk to us. And also be sure to go check out his play in New Jersey. And uh, we look forward to having him back on at a later date to talk about more Venture Brothers stuff as well as what he's up to. And uh, I want to thank you all for listening. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>